Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. From D2 to D3. With J.T. Mitchell. Best in sports reports. Listen here. Throughout the year. And we're back with another episode of From D2 to D3. I'm your host, JT Mitchell. As always, this episode is brought to you by Eve's Law Firm. No matter what you're going through, you need a good attorney on your side. Call them today at 601-355-7961, or you can find them online at eveslaw.com. So today, what we're going to do will be a bit different than previous episodes. Instead of having a guest on later on in the show, we're going to go straight to the phone line and talk to one legend about another legend, a D2 legend, in fact. You may know him from his columns that have run in multiple publications over the years, or you may know him from one of his various books, one of which we'll discuss further today, the one and only, the great Rick Cleveland. I'm so glad he's on the show with us today. Hey, Mr. Cleveland, how are things going? I'm doing fine, JT. Good to be with you. Absolutely. And before we start talking about Coach Ferris, I just got to say it's an absolute honor to have you on the program. Whether you know it or not, you have played a vital role in how I ended up in the radio journalism business. I mean, I can remember waking up every day as a kid and just scrambling to find your latest column in the Clarion Ledger. Of course, I still keep up with your work over at Mississippi Today. Love every single column you put out. So just thank you for taking the time today, and I look forward to the conversation. Well, I appreciate those kind words. Yeah, of course. Um, So the reason I asked you to come on the show today, because you are the main source when it comes to Dave Boo Ferris. If you don't know that name and you're out there listening, you should. Every time I think of baseball legends from the Magnolia State, which there are a lot, Coach Ferris is who naturally comes to mind. I mean, just one of the best players and coaches the state has ever seen. That being said, I'm sure a bulk of our audience does know who Coach Ferris was and the great life that he did live. And that's actually the title of your book. It's called Boo, A Life in Baseball Well-Lived, which I wrapped up this morning probably for the fifth time. And as I was rereading, one thing that kept coming to mind was the Boo Ferris effect. And you might have said that somewhere in there, Mr. Cleveland, but Coach Ferris just had a tremendous effect on everybody he touched. So I just kind of want to start from the get-go and maybe go chronologically from there. Boo was born in 1921 
down in the small Delta town of Shawl, and I really don't think it took too long for the community to know what a special kind of person he was. Would you say that's correct? Oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, he he played his first high school baseball game when he was in the seventh grade. Uh, and I, I, it's in that book, but he, he was... Uh, they put him in at second base when the regular second baseman got hurt. In fact, they brought him down out of stands to play. And somehow or another, he broke his right wrist in, in the game. And uh, so we spent the, the rest of, the, of that spring and summer uh, throwing left-handed. And it was a... Uh, it was a skill that he used throughout his life. I mean, even when he was pitching batting practice for the Boston Red Sox and then later for the for Delta State when they were gonna face a left hander that day, he would he would pitch batting practice left handed. Uh he always hit left handed and uh, he was also you know, at, at at Mississippi State he was the team's best hitter as well as of course the team's best pitcher. I mean, just a heck of a player could pitch just well, as yeah, well and, and with he, his left hand. Well, he, yeah, he could. He he was uh, as Yogi Berra would say. He was amphibious. He was <laughs> he, he he could uh, he could do it all. He was also an outstanding basketball player and uh, used both hands. And uh, in high school at Shaw, he was also the team's quarterback. As far as I know, he only threw right-handed in football. But he was also a, uh, you know, an honor student at Shaw. He won all kinds of, back then, penmanship was a a big deal. As for, obviously, before word processors and all that kind of stuff. So you, so you wrote everything, and penmanship was a big deal. And anybody who ever got his autograph or got one of those letters he wrote, so, so many so many of his friends and players is his penmanship it was like calligraphy he was he was uh, <laughs> it was beautiful handwriting and uh and you know and, and everything he he wrote was always so heartfelt uh it, i know it, it sounds like i'm describing deity but in in some ways i feel like he was well you described it as impeccable script and I, I know I'm fortunate enough to be one of the people who did receive multiple letters from Coach Ferris over the years. I actually have one hanging in my office, and his handwriting was just incredible. And you're right. The content in the letters just means so much. Yeah, you know, it's like I remember uh, talking to Jimmy Newquist, one of his really good players at Delta State, uh, and he used to talk about how he just – he. Coach Ferris always made him feel so special, and then he said, "And then when I, you know, I, I eventually learned it, he made everybody feel that way. It wasn't, it wasn't just me; he he made everybody feel special. And I think that's his lasting uh, the the the." the the thing that to me makes him immortal is that he he treated everybody the same way, and that way was treated them special. I think you're right. And you talked to a lot of these former players in your book, 
And the general consensus is that he just celebrated each and every one of them, their families, their loved ones. And it didn't matter. I think there's multiple occasions in the book where he he took a fan in. It didn't matter who you were, if you were a former player, a former peer of his, or just a friend. He, he showed, Coach Ferris showed that he really did care. Yeah, he, he, he did. I, I, you know, I met him. I'll never forget the day I met him. I was nine or ten years old. Of course, my dad worked at, at what was then Mississippi Southern College, and uh, they were playing a game against Delta State. This would have been 1960 or 61. And uh, before the game, Dad was out on the field talking to uh, to this tall, good-looking guy that uh, strapped him man, and uh, I had no idea who it was. And then he looked, turned around, and looked at me, and waved me out on the field, and he introduced me to uh, to Coach Ferris, um, and he he introduced him to me as the the greatest baseball player in Mississippi history. And uh, you know, if you if you were a nine year old baseball nut like I was, I, mean, I could I could tell you every starter on every major league team and everybody's batting average and uh, all that kind of stuff. And and when when my daddy introduced me to Coach Ferris that way, it, it really got my attention. But then it was like. You know, he 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 had a conversation with me out there on the field, and he said, "Are you playing?" I said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "What position are you playing?" I said, "I'm a catcher." And he said, "Ooh, good catchers are hard to find. That's the quickest way to the major leagues." Uh, I felt about ten feet tall that day, uh, and he kept making me feel that way for the next uh, sixty years. You know, fifty fifty. Well, he still makes me feel that way. I've still got I've got three Manila envelopes in my desk of of letters and, and notes that he sent me through the years. Just a special, special, special man. And and you know, he the other thing, JT, that people need to know about him. Had it not been for a freak injury, he would have been one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history. I think you're absolutely correct. But if, if there was a camera in this studio um, where you could see me and I could see you, you would see Mr. Cleveland. I have a huge smile on my face because I did not know that story of when you first met Coach Ferris and the parallels between when you met Coach Ferris and when I met Coach Ferris, which would have been later, are honestly pretty insane. I met Coach Ferris at nine or 10 years old. My grandfather and my grandmother lived across the street from him and Miriam on Robinson Drive there in Cleveland. And my grandfather, like your father, asked me if I wanted to meet the best player in Red Sox history. I know your dad said Mississippi history. My grandfather said Red Sox history. And I was a nine, 10 year old baseball nut as well. And I, I said, absolutely. But I was filled with nerve, confusion, um, happiness. And he walked me over to Coach Ferris's. And Coach Ferris didn't talk to me like I was just a nine or 10 year old kid. He talked to me, asked me about what I was playing, what I was interested in. Of course, he talked about himself, but he was much more interested in talking about me. And then he would write uh, as I went through my adolescent years and kept up with my clippings in the school newspaper and stuff like that. I mean, that just says a lot right there, the similar, the parallels to those stories. Yeah, he, he but, you know, and, and here's the thing, JT, we're, we're, we're just two of 
literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people that he had that effect on. Uh, his coaching tree, it's it's still amazing. Uh, you go around Mississippi to the high schools, junior colleges, and even colleges, he's had an effect on almost every every, every one of them. It's, it's incredible. And isn't that amazing to think about the thousands of people that Coach Ferris could have touched? And yes, his career was cut short, um, and I think he would have continued to touch people if he had a longer playing career. But I also, part of me thinks that if the crazy injury didn't happen and he didn't get put into coaching earlier or um, as early as he was, you know, maybe it was a blessing in disguise for the rest of us that were lucky enough to be around Coach Ferris. Well, I'll tell you this about him. That's the way he felt. Mm-hmm. He, he felt that's what, you know, he was a very religious man uh, and he felt that's what God wanted him to do. And uh, he was okay with it. He was he he was okay with it. I remember funny story when when we were doing the book. I asked him what medically actually happened to his shoulder, and he said, "Well, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened to my throwing shoulder, but that uh, back then he, they called it dead arm." He said, "I could some days I could warm up and for." 15 or 20 pitches, I'd be just as good as I ever was. But but then it would just go dead. So I, I talked to him. I mean, I talked him into going and see. I had had so, shoulder surgery myself by a doctor here in Jackson named Buddy Savoy, who's renowned as one of the best shoulder specialists in the, in the nation. Now he's down at Tulane Hospital in New Orleans. But... Uh, I asked Buddy if he would if he would take a look at Coach Ferris's shoulder and see what it was, and uh, and he did, and he found out it was just a slight tear uh, in um, oh god, it's labrum, correct? Yeah, labrum. Yeah, in the in the in the labrum, and uh, now a days they wouldn't even have to do major surgery they would just go in arthroscopically and repair that tear and he would be back pitching within six months uh back then it was it was essentially career ending you know he won he won 46 games in his first two seasons in professional baseball which there's only been one other pitcher in the history of major league baseball who's done that Grover Grover Cleveland Alexander was the only other pitcher who's done that in his first two years. Um, you know, Booth threw more complete games in his rookie season than the entire American League did last year. Now, baseball's changed a lot, but still, that's, that's a statistic that gets your attention. Well, the game has uh, changed a lot, but, he, you know, he was throwing full games. I think there was one game in there in his rookie season, he threw 14 innings. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he didn't care. From when you talked about him, he was like, I'm just going out there to play ball. I'll do whatever the coaches ask me to. Yeah, and he, he paced himself, too. He was, uh, if they had a if they had a lead, you know, he pitched a contact. If it was a close game and, uh, you know, he could strike you out, but, he, you know, he he figured he thought his job was to go out and pitch nine innings every time out. You know, his first eight 
major league starts, he beat every other team in the in the league. In his first eight starts, he was eight no. Uh, he was just a, a, an amazing, and all this time, all those the years that he was playing, uh, they also used him as a pinch hitter when he wasn't pitching. That's how good a hitter he was. And it's a question you raise a lot in your book, and I think anybody who reads it out there will naturally ask themselves as well. It just makes you wonder, of course, hypothetically, if it was nowadays with the labrum, how much longer in the league uh, Coach Ferris would have gone, but why the Red Sox then, when he threw out his arm, didn't try to go with him as a, a field player or a hitter. Well, yeah, and and uh, I asked him that, and, uh, you know, he didn't really have never, I mean, that's just not what they decided to do. Uh, he he did not hit for great power. He was a he was a gap hitter. He 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 hit a lot of he hit a lot of line drives, singles, and a lot of gappers that would go to the wall for a double or triple. He didn't hit a lot of home runs, and uh, you know he probably would have played first base, which is what he played when he wasn't pitching uh, at Mississippi State, and. You know, first base, traditionally, you're looking for a power hitter. Uh, I don't know if that how, how that factored in there. Uh, but they, you know, it, it, would have, it, it seemed to me it would have made sense to make him into a position player, but uh, that never happened. It didn't. And part of it could have been that maybe the Red Sox organization had faith that he could overcome his arm injury and come back and be their ace. Um, but it didn't happen. And he did blow out his arm, but it pushed him into coaching, and he ended up coaching with the Red Sox, and then Delta State, Mississippi State, then back to Delta State, and of course he won a lot. He was wildly successful, but Coach Ferris just touched so many lives when he was a coach. Absolutely, um, you know, in the in the biography that um, that I wrote, um, it probably might have been a more of a commercial success nationally uh, had I just stuck to the story about the big leagues and, and all that. But he very much wanted to make it about uh, every bit of as much about his coaching at Delta State as, as, as about, you know, him making it to the Red Sox and being one of the best pitchers in baseball, he he wanted it, it to. Uh, I guess you know, in a lot of ways, he was just as proud of what he did at Delta State as what he did in in in, in the American League, you know, which I think says a lot about the man. But as you know, if you just if you've read the book and and, and uh, you're the first one that's ever told me you read it five times. But, <laughs> hey, my, uh, my copy's signed by both you and Coach Ferris. Yeah, well, he, I'll tell you what. You know that a lot of the the second half of the book is about Delta State and about his relationships with all the players, and 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 they're universal. I mean, they're you will not find. A single player who played for him that does not love him, uh, and that includes a player that that he cut. That's what I was about ever, to talk about. Yeah, was Grisham. Yeah, yeah John Grisham. Uh, you know when uh, 
when I called John Grisham to ask him if he would be interested in, in, in doing the introduction forward to the book, he didn't he didn't say anything except this. When do you need it? You know, here's the best selling author in America and I, and he got cut by Boo Ferris before he ever played a single game at Delta State and I call him and ask him, you know, to take time out of his busy life to write a forward to a, a book that's and and he says, When do you need it? And this is a player who got cut. There's not many players out there who you can get to write a foreword about the coach that cut them, and they only say nice things. But it just shows the kind of coach Boo Ferris was. Even if he had to cut you, which happens in sports, you still loved him. Yeah, well, you know, as he famously, uh, Boo told him, he, he when he found him on campus to tell him that he just wasn't quite good enough to, to make the team, uh, he said, you know, you need to stick to the books. He was talking about get your degree, you know, uh, and get on with life. And uh, But he, uh, you can say this about John Grisham, he sure stuck to his books. He sure did. <laughs> He's only sold a gazillion of them. You know, JT, that, the, the guy that was supposed to write the forward to the book, the guy who first mentioned to me that I should write a biography of Boo Ferris, was David Halberstam, the great writer who, uh, when he was in Mississippi, to he came to Mississippi before he wrote the best-selling book, Teammates, which was a, essentially a book about uh, Bobby Doerr and Ted Williams, who were the two of Boo Ferris's teammates, and he came to Mississippi to interview Boo Ferris uh, for that book. And during that time, I got together with him and Willie Morris for dinner one night. And he, David Halberstam told me, you know, Boo Ferris deserves a book. You need to write his book. And uh, so that was the genesis of it. And then uh, when I was just finishing up the book and I, uh, I called Halberstam, who had promised me if I'd write the book, he'd write the forward for it. And uh, uh, I call. I, it was right before I was about to call him to tell him, "Okay, it's ready." Uh, he he had that tragic car accident mm. in in California and died. And that's when I asked, when Boo and I were talking, I said, "Well, who can we get to ride the Ford?" And he said, "Well, you know, John Grisham tried out for me." <laughs> I said, "Really." And that's that's how that ended up happening. And I mean, I don't know. If, of course, the original forward would have been great, but I think Grisham's a nice second to have. Oh, I, anytime somebody talks to me about, uh, you know, what it takes to write a successful book, I say, well, I'll tell you this much. If you can get John Grisham to write your forward, you, you got a leg up. You're doing something right. Um but one of the themes so far has been that not enough people realize that Boo Ferris was the best in baseball. You talk about his teammates, Ted Williams and Dom DiMaggio and Bobby Doerr. If you read the book, Ted Williams will say that Boo was the man when it came to being on the mound. 
and he really was the best at the time. Just unfortunate situations happened, um, and a lot of people in, real, in Mississippi might realize that. But nationally, I, I really don't think enough baseball fans or even Red Sox fans really realize how special of a player Boo was. Now, of course, the record's broken, the 46 wins in the first two years, but he's also the first night game pitcher at Fenway Park. The fans at the time loved him so much that they gave him a car. They would wait for him outside of his apartment trying to get autographs. He, he At his time, he was the top of top of baseball and he didn't let it go to his head at all. I mean, with how he treated the sports writers and fans... Now, you describe beautifully in the book, it's, it's just something to be proud of. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, he's, a, he's the most remarkable human being I've ever known. Uh, that's, you know, I've been doing this now for 58 years, writing sports for 58 years. I've been around a lot of um, famous people. Uh, I'm, just how good a person he was is is it's hard it's hard to describe you know I mean Archie Manning would who would probably be second on that list for me would say the same thing about Boo Ferris. He went to Boo Ferris's baseball camps when he was little, uh, and he you know they they had a remarkably good relationship through the years as well. And just think about that. Everybody from Archie Manning to us sports writers are working in the journalism business. Boo had that effect on. Um, I'm just looking over here at the show prep and there's just some other factoids that, you know, were pretty groundbreaking surrounding Coach Ferris's career. First full scholarship in Mississippi State baseball history. Nowadays, you know, they still have 11.7 scholarships to divide among all of the players. He got a full ride from Duty Noble in 1942 or whenever it was. Yeah, he did. It was actually 1939, I believe. And he he was about to accept a half scholarship from Alabama, which was the big baseball power at that time in the South. And on his way back, to the Delta from Alabama, he was talked into going by and seeing Duty Noble, and that's when Duty Noble offered him a full scholarship. Of course, he was. He did play uh, freshman basketball at State and and was really good at it. Uh, But uh, then he decided to to stick to baseball. Yeah, he played. uh, He would play. You know, back then, they, they didn't play three-game series, they played two-game weekend series, you know, and they didn't play on Sunday, of course. They played on Fridays and Saturdays. And when they were playing a, uh, they were playing a Friday-Saturday series at, at Alabama, and he pitched on Friday, pitched a great game on Friday and pitched right-handed. And then on Saturday, he pitched against Alabama. I mean, he played first base against Alabama, and he played first base left-handed. You know, wore right wore first baseman's mitt on his right hand to uh, to play first base. And in the middle of the game, two Alabama fans came around behind the Mississippi State dugout and. One guy was holding two five dollar bills, and he said, 
my buddy here and I got a bet, and he, he says, you're the guy that pitched yesterday. And I say, you you can't be because the pitcher yesterday was right-handed and you're left-handed. And Pooh said he told him, well, buddy, I'm sorry. <laughs> you lost that bet. That was me. <laughs> and I know a lot of guys back then did play a lot of pitchers. They hit a little more than in today's modern game where the pitchers are typically an easy out. But he was kind of, uh, you know, we see it today, he was kind of like Shohei Itani in terms of what all he could do on the diamond. Yeah, he um, he, he really was. He was, he was uh, he probably could have played in the outfield too because he wasn't a he, he he wasn't slow or anything. He could he could run. Uh, he probably he probably could have played outfield. Obviously, he had the arm to play in the outfield. And you talk about that story where the guy was out ten dollars, which that was a lot of money in nineteen thirty nine. A lot of money to me today, working in this business, right? Um, yeah. But you talk about how he just switched hands back to back days. Did he ever try to pitch left-handed after tearing that right labrum when he was with the Red Sox? I, you know, I don't. Here's what I think, and and here's what I, I think he believed he, he was, he didn't have the velocity from the left side that he had from the right, and he he probably was good enough from the left side to maybe become a, a reach class double A mm-hmm. baseball, you know, been a really effective minor league pitcher from the left from the left side, but probably not. Of course, you know, how many people in the world could do that? Right. Yeah. Oh, my, my bad arm can get me to double A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Anyway, I think that was the deal. I think he could he, he did when he was playing in the Cape Cod League, you know, which is the top amateur summer league for college players. Uh, he did pitch some left-handed in the Cape Cod League. Incredible talent, and not enough people know about Dave Boo Ferris. Here in Mississippi, of course, a lot do, but nationally do not. And you said that your book might have been more of a national hit if – Coach Ferris didn't suggest that it has to include my coaching. I, I, that was a large part of my life. Where can listeners get your book, Mr. Cleveland? You know, which we we printed three editions, and 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 they're no they're no longer available. Uh, they were all sold. Uh, you can get them occasionally secondhand uh, uh, on, on Amazon or what is the other. I, I, I hear people say that they find them available um, um, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the ones that are signed by he and Grisham, you know, sometimes sell for $300, 400 Oh, man. That would have been cool if I had Grisham's signature in mind, but I think you and Coach Ferris's signatures uh, <laughs> do enough. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the first signing we had uh, – after the book came out, we did it at Delta State at the uh, Alumni Hall, and and um, we sold 700 books that day. I remember telling Grisham that, and he said, you know, that would have been a good day for me on the farm, you know. That really uh, is unreal. At the Mississippi yeah. Book Festival yearly, the people on Author's Alley, if you sell in the 40s, you're having a good day. 700, though. 
Yeah, we sold 700, and he sat there for five hours. And he was in his 90s. And uh, he sat there for five hours, and everybody that came up, I was, it was... It was an incredible experience to sit there with him because everybody who came up there had a story they wanted to tell him about how he had affected their lives. And so the the signing went on and on and on, and he his handwriting never changed. His smile for everyone who came up there never changed. Uh, it was uh, it was almost as impressive as beating every other team in the league in your first eight starts. And you're right. I mean, rereading your book last night and this morning made me re-realize, you know, how we can get sometimes as humans, we can just get so busy in life. It made me re-realize that we should all strive to draw some attributes from Coach Ferris. I mean, I, I think you have a part in there that says, what would Boo do? And well, that's what a lot of players tell me, of his former players who are now coaches. They, they, they come times when you have a problem with a player or, you uh, you know, or something happens during a game and, and they say to themselves, well, what would Boo do? Typically, uh, the answer is probably the right one. Yeah. Well, he would, he would, uh, he would certainly do what he thought was the right thing for sure. Uh, he's the only he's the only person I know who has lived every second of every minute of every hour of every day of his life by the golden rule. You know, he always treated other people the way he would want them to treat him. I love what he used to say. He'd say, it "Doesn't cost anything to be nice." That's right. That's exactly. That's one of it. Doesn't cost a thing to be nice. And he, his players would talk about they'd be on a bus trip somewhere, and he'd tell the bus driver to pull over uh, in front of a business, and he'd go in and come back out five or ten minutes later, and they'd, somebody'd say, "Well, what was that about?" And he said, "Oh, that man, that, that, that man who runs that business has done a lot for Delta State. I just wanted to go in there and tell him thank you." Unfortunately, we are without Coach Ferris nowadays. We're also out w- without Coach Leach, but you hear that story of Coach Leach where his phone rings in the middle of a, a film session, and he answers it and walks outside and doesn't come back in for you know an hour or so. And I think it was Lincoln Riley on the other side, maybe Cliff Kingsbury. And he said, "Who was that?" He said, "It was just the wrong number." I just got to talking to them about their family and how they're doing. I think that would be kind of like Coach Ferris. Yeah, he would be. He he definitely would be the the. the uh... That's a similar attribute. There's no doubt about that. And just a fantastic player, but an even better person. Um, you know, Mr. Cleveland, I've really enjoyed, I see we're coming up on the 30-minute mark. I've, I've really enjoyed reflecting on our friend Coach Ferris's life today. Uh, I'm the firm, a firm believer that he's, he's talked about a lot, but he should be talked about more. Um, so thank you for taking the time today. Well, I appreciate you doing it, JT. Absolutely. That was the one and only Rick Cleveland. Go read that book. I know he said it's hard to get your hands on, but Google it. I'm sure you can find a copy. It's called Boo, A Life in Baseball Well Lived. I promise you'll learn something about the great Boo Ferris. We got a lot going on across the D2 and D3 landscapes this weekend, and you can keep up with it all at supertalk.fm. I'm JT Mitchell, your host from D2 to D3, and we'll catch you next week.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services a Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.